You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Barker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Again, God, we come to you knowing, God, that you are all in all, our sufficient, the most sufficient one. God, that you love us beyond anything we could ever imagine. God, we come to you, God, just praying, God, that you would meet us here, God, that you would be with us, God, that you would, God, that, it, um, that our worship would be seen as pleasing in your sight. And God, this message, it's hard. There's so many things that people struggle with. And sometimes it's easy to get up and to preach about other things other people struggle with. But it's hard to preach about the things that you struggle with, Lord. But God, I'm asking you to give me strength. But not just me, God. Make your word plain to everyone, not just to me. Remind me, remind them that you are who you say you are. That the very promises that you make in your word, they're not things we just hang on just as a cliche. They are your written word and they're true. God, help us to overcome our insecurities, Lord. Help us to know you in a, in a more intimate way. Help us to let go of ourselves, God, and, and trust only in you. We pray that this be done, not, God, so that we can just gain a sense of peace, but, God, because your glory demands it. Us accomplishing your purpose demands it. Us being a viable, a viable, usable vessel in your kingdom demands it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use that even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me be seated. Man. You know, there are some times when you preach, and I think that many preachers would tell you that some of the hardest times that we have are not the times where we're preaching about things where we have clear understandings and where we have these certain things that we like to touch, on, touch upon and repeat over and over again. The hardest times that we have are preaching about the things that we openly struggle with. And so what I want to do today is I want to go back and I want to explore an Old Testament story that I think has some real implications for not only me, but I think for you as well, because I think this is something that I normally struggle with, but I would guess, I would venture to think that a lot of you do as well. And so what I want you to do is, if you would, turn, take your scriptures, and I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Once again, this is um, Exodus chapter 3. Um, as you've already, if you, if you haven't um, guessed upon it yet, um, I know that um, Brother Jeff is currently in a series on the book of Mark. I am taking a, um, a detour from that today. Um, I feel like it's something that God wants me to share. I'm not sure why this Sunday, but I am going to share it nonetheless. Once again, Exodus chapter 3. Now, I will be honest, I'm going to kind of skip over a lot. Most of you are probably familiar with the story of, of, of Moses and the burning bush. But my hope is to take that a little bit further and, to, and maybe to retell the story in a different, from a different angle, a different context, to bring about a different, um, a different viewpoint for a different change. 
once again, Exodus chapter 3. And just for the sake of, of brevity, let's go ahead and jump to verse 10. So most of us are familiar with the story of Moses in the burning bush. We see that um, Moses is out in the, field, in the wilderness, and he sees, I mean, and he sees a, bush being con- I mean, a bush on fire, but it's not consumed. He meets God there. God tells him to take off his shoes because the place where he's standing is holy ground. And so as he calls Moses to this place to be able to ask him about purpose, this dialogue begins in verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Skip down to verse, um, let's keep on going, Um, verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with you. This is God talking. I mean, and and this shall be a sign to you that is, I mean, that is I who have sent you when I have, I mean, have you brought, I have sent you. When I have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers who has sent me to you now that they may see to say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the, to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord God of your, I mean, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And my name is forever, and this is my, and this is my memorial name, to all the generations. Now, everyone, jump over to chapter 4. And just bear with me in this reading. Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Verse 2. And the Lord said to him, What is me? What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out of his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now lastly, jump over to verse 10. And we're going to read to finish this out. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12, Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you, should, what you ought to say. But verse 13, but he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, is there, is, is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, 
he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him with, and put the words into his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Amen. Let's pray again. Um, dear Lord, bless this message. Bless this time that we have. God, may everyone find themselves in this message, including me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so for today's message, for, t- for a topic, I want to talk about insecurity, the great paralyzer. Once again, that's insecurity, the great paralyzer. When I ask the question, who you I mean, when I ask the question, who are you when no one else is around, there's a variation of answers that probably come up. And what do you think when you, I mean, when do you think you are as that person? You see, like I said, again, many, there are many ways to answer that question. Perhaps you're a confident person. Perhaps you're the type of person that is kind of comfortable in your own skin. You have a certain air about you. You know who you are. You know what you enjoy. You know what you dislike. But then, I mean, but you have, you're pretty comfortable in who you are. Well, that's not everybody in the world. In fact, there are a group of us, and notice I use the word us, including myself. There are a group of people who don't have the same air about life all the time. And maybe some of you share this as well as, I mean, as well as me too. You see, there's some of us who are not as always confident people. We find ourselves struggling to find ourselves in a healthy self-image. We wish we may have had different abilities. Sometimes we wish we were smarter. Sometimes we wish we looked different. Sometimes we, we wish that we were called to do other things. There are times we wish we could do something opposite or contrary to what God may have, may, may have designed and made us to do. But yet, nonetheless, even with the people who have, who have self-images, whether those self-images are healthy or overinflated, or whether those people who are not so confident and need to be more confident in who they are, one thing remains the same between both of them. We all have insecurities. We all have insecurities. You see, in fact, if you, if you could enter our minds, you would figure out what, no matter whether you're the most confident person in the world or whether you're the person who, has, who is always down themselves, there is something about all of us that have insecurities. You see, insecurity is defined as an uncertainty or an anxiety of oneself, lack of confidence. And the question becomes, when we think about this idea of being insecure, why? Why are we so insecure? Why do I have this self-image? Well, we have this self-image for, vari- for a multiple variables. For some of us, it's because, it's because of the way we grew up. In fact, some of us have, have, have attitudes that we've obtained over time. We've grown to have an attitude of a certain way of life, and so we stick with that. There are certain events that may have shaped some of our lives, and this is why we act the way we are, and this is why we have the confidence we have, we should have, or don't have. And for some of us, it's based on the people who have influenced our lives, whether those people were great influence, great influences that helped us have a healthy self-image, or people who were negatively affecting our image and caused us to have a, um, a negative self-image or in, give us insecurities. But now all these ingredients contribute to the one overwhelming thing or one overwhelming factor for insecurity, and it's called the critical inner voice. You see, the critical inner voice is an internal dialogue that accompanies our feelings of insecurity. You see, as we grow up, we become become unconscious to these things. 
We adopt these things. We integrate them into our lives because now these things that we have been introduced to, whether there were events, whether there were people, whether there were attitudes, they become a part of our lives, whether they are healthy or not. And one of the most common self-critical thoughts um, people have toward themselves is in that maybe they think that they are different. Not in a positive sense, but in a negative sense. An alienating way. You see, whether our self-image is high or low, one thing is clear. We are a generation of people who compare, evaluate, and judge ourselves with great scrutiny. How do you see this? There are times when we see people who do certain things, and no matter, even if they made a small mistake, we go, we, we'll say to them, oh man, that was a great job, man, you did an excellent job on that, and, and, you're, and you're very gracious, you're very thankful. But then with that same mistake, if you make it, you beat yourself up. You make yourself seem as if that was the gravest error you could have made. Like, if anyone else makes that mistake, you're very gracious. And, and so what I'm saying is this. We have a, one of the things that I think we experience more than anything in America is we've become a group of people who have great scrutiny. I mean, and keep in mind, we have things like social media. We have more access to seeing in people, people's lives through all various sorts of means. And so now I think that with the invention of comment, with the comment section and being able to tweet and all these different things, it's caused us to be a lot more critical of everything that we see. And, and it'd be one thing if we were doing this in a vacuum, but what happens is, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, the words that we put out there affect other people. And sometimes the words that you put out are indicative of who you are more than anything else. And so we have to be careful that the things that we're saying, the things that we're doing, are not contributing to a, I mean, to a negative self-image or, or done via an insecurity. You see, this, with this idea of being critical, judging, or having great scrutiny upon ourselves, we're not the only ones who went through this particular thing. Moses did. You see, when you read the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, usually we all come to the same agreement. We think when we read the story, we read it and we see where God calls Moses at the burning bush. And when God, when God has Moses to answer the call, we see him as making a bunch of excuses, don't we? We usually say these are excuses for the reason why he didn't follow the call of God. But in reality, as I read this, as I, as I thought about this, as I've been talking about this with my class, and as I've been thinking about it throughout this week, I think I figured out something more to this. And this is not adding to Scripture or taking away at all. I think this is something that more enhances what you hear in Scripture. It's this idea that Moses wasn't just, Moses wasn't just being, making excuses for things, for something he couldn't do. Moses was insecure about who he was and what he could do. Moses was insecure. You see, and once again, that's what usually happens to us. We find ourselves in a place where we are insecure about who we are, and therefore that thing starts to affect what we can do. You see, the reason why Moses was, was not able to fully answer the call of God immediately at that moment was because Moses was insecure. Moses, God was calling Moses to a specific purpose and plan for his life. Did God, God was going to give him everything that he needed, but yet Moses couldn't see it because he couldn't get over himself. Moses could not get over who he was. And so what I want to do for the rest of this message, and what I want to, what I, and what I want to submit to all of you, is this idea that God has a purpose for all your lives. You know that. We all know that. 
But have you ever thought that maybe the greatest single, the greatest single enemy to you accomplishing God's will for your life may not be Satan, it may be you. It may be you. You see, yes, we've been told and we know that Satan is an enemy and Satan wants to take our thoughts and Satan wants to take those things out of us and he wants to use them, to, I mean, to, to basically thwart God's plan. But have you ever noticed that sometimes Satan doesn't have to try so hard with us? He's known for taking things that are already there and enhancing those things in our life to thwart God's plans. You don't believe me. If you even, if you, you don't have to go there, but just remember this. Remember in Genesis chapter 3? Was it necessarily Satan who got, I mean, was it Satan who just pulled the fruit from the tree and said, please eat it for it will make you become God? Did he say that? No. He used Eve's, he used Eve's mind to get her to wonder if this was worth it, right? So he used the lust of the eyes, right? The lust of the flesh, right? And the pride of life. He used those three things to entice her to make that decision on her own. All he had to do was make her doubt her because when when she said, hey, I don't think we should be doing this, what he said, did God really say that? She, he used her self-doubt to get her to the point where she, where she would try this thing. And I believe that God does that. I mean, I believe that not God. I believe that this happens to us more oftentimes than not. And so what I want to do for the, next, for the duration of this message is I want to pull together, I want to pull together this idea. I want to extract from this passage, from the, from the context of the idea that these are Moses' um, insecurity and how it paralyzes him from fulfilling God's purpose. And so, let me, and so let's go ahead and jump back, if you would, to chapter 3, verse 11. I mean, verse 10, I mean. So in verse 10, God makes it really clear that he has a plan, a purpose for Moses. And so right out the gate, when Moses, I mean, when God lays his plan on Moses, the first thing that Moses asks is he says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? The very thing that he, Moses was doubting there was his ability. Moses was doubting his ability. You see, what Moses feel, and this is the, and once again, this is the very first insecurity that paralyzes us from accomplishing God's will. It's this idea that we have a lack of ability. You see, when Moses thought that he was capable, and I want to take you back on a little history lesson really quick. Jump back to chapter 2. And please, I, this is hard for me, so please stay with me. It, and amen, whatever, whatever gets you through, just please stay with me, all right? Chapter 2, look at verse 12. Now, the context of this story, Moses has now grown up to become a man, and Moses sees that there's, an, there's a Hebrew slave who is being mistreated by the, Egyptian, by the Egyptian guards, right? And so what happens is this. Moses decides that he's going to take justice into his own hands. Verse 12. So he looks this way and, and that, and then he saw that there was no one around, and he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And they said to the offender, why are you striking your, and he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you the prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? And then Joseph, I mean, then Moses was afraid and said, surely this matter has become known. And so what you realize from the rest of that passage is that Moses realizes that, listen, he's been caught. He's, I mean, he's been caught red-handed killing somebody and trying to get rid of the body, right? And what this does is it causes him to run 
to run away from the problem that he had faced and run to Midian where he ends up for 40 years. Now here's the thing, Moses, when Moses saw this thing, he saw that this man was being killed and he saw that it was wrong. But notice that when Moses tried to take justice into his own hands, he ends up failing. But now God now is saying that, hey, I see the plight of my people. I see what's going on and I'm sending you on behalf of me to take care of what's going on. And so now he's standing at the burning bush of the Lord and he truly doubts whether, I mean, whether he is a man to deliver the people. You know why? Because in his past, he had this experience where he tried to, um, he tried to affect justice on his own and it didn't work. So now he's taking that doubt with him from the point where he murdered a man to the point where God is asking him to do this with him, to deliver the people with him in, the, in this power. And now he's like, I, I can't do it, God. You got to imagine that when, as he's doing this, this is the thing that's going through his mind. And see, perhaps you fit in this category as well. He asked the question, who am I? Perhaps you feel like you fit in this category where you can't fulfill the task of, I mean, the task at hand because you feel or know that you lack certain skills. Maybe you feel like you have a lack of education to attain certain goals. Perhaps you seemingly lack abilities that others may have and, makes it, and it makes you feel inadequate. Maybe you tried to accomplish certain tasks only to see yourself fail repeatedly. And why is this such a big deal? Why, why would a feelings mean, why would these things hurt so much? It's hurt, it will hurt because, and why it's such a big deal and why does it have such an effect on your life is because of this. Your inner voice gives you thoughts like this. You're stupid. You're a failure. You never win. You'll never accomplish anything. What's the point of even trying? You'll never get it right. You see, and that's, and that's the thing that hurts the most, is the fact that even when we see that, and keep in mind too, when you read the story of Moses, you don't just see an inadequate man going to an all-sufficient, adequate God and simply saying, you know what, I can't do it because the task is too great. He's saying, I can't do it, Lord, because I'm, I'm not only insufficient because compared to you, but I'm insufficient because I don't think you can accomplish this through me. Does everybody get that? Is everybody, is everybody following me? Okay. You see, it's more than just I can't do it. It was the fact that he sees himself as not even a, tr a vessel worth trying to use. And that's the problem. You see, there's a stark difference between having a gifting or a talent and being called when it comes to God's purpose. You see, when Moses was trying to accomplish this feat of justice on his own, he fell flat. But when God was going to take what he had and use it to accomplish his purpose, it should have been different. You see, Moses wanted to use his own ability, but yet it made him a fugitive. When God uses Moses' ability to free the people from oppression, then Moses became a deliverer. You see, God uniquely shapes individuals' lives for unique purposes. Trust him to make sense of your unique shaping. Some of you may feel like you're all the way out and you're different. You may feel like, how could God use me? Look at my skill set. Look at who I am. Look at my personality. Look how I act. Look how different I am from everybody else. Well, I say that God is able to use you just like he is anybody else. God just uses you in a, chooses to use you in a very different way. 
Um, my youth group students should be repeating this after me after I say this, but one of the things that I always preach to them is this idea of using, that God uses your shape. Most of you guys have heard of that if you've read a Rick Warren book or you've seen Purpose Driven Anything, but the shape is made up is an acronym that stands for, S stands for spiritual gifts, right? God uses your, spir your spiritual gifts to make sure, I mean, to, I mean, he uses your spiritual gifts to mold and shape you and to figure out a way to use you in the body of God. Number two, your heart, the things that you're passionate about. God has given all of us different passions, and God uses that uniquely in your purpose. A, abilities. There are things that I can do that other people, I mean, I, there are things that I can do better than other, I mean, than other weaknesses that I have. God uses those to his glory. P, my personality. I have certain quirks. I have certain traits. I have certain things that I do that make me different from other people. And God uses my unique personality to shape and mold me for his purpose. And lastly, my experiences. God uses my experiences, good and bad, to mold and shape me for his glory and for his purpose. Is everybody following me? And so your unique, your unique purpose, your unique shape is something that God can use. So in the moments where you feel like you're insecure and that God can't use me because I'm different, God says, I can use you because I made you different. Did everyone follow that? God says, I can use you because I made you different. You see, the other thing we need to notice that for those of you who may feel insecure, for those of you who may struggle with, with um, figuring out, you know, how, you know, how God made you and why he made you the way you are, remember, God gives you skill set. And those skill sets sometimes are transferable in many, across many disciplines. You'll be surprised what God has equipped you for. You see, when Moses was out in the wilderness, what was his job? He was a shepherd. Now, when, Moses, when you look at this job in the context of what it is, you have to, you have, you'll notice a couple of things. God, I mean, shepherding was a humbling and lowly job. It required a lot of patience. It required discipline and commitment. But when you think about that, you never think about as, that as being the prerequisite for going and delivering a people out of bondage. God used his skill set in shepherding and transferred it over into saving and delivering a people. You never know how God is going to use your unique skill set to be able to, to, be able to um, further his kingdom and his purpose. Don't Listen, there, listen, if there are things about you that, that you need to change because it, it goes against God's word, you do that. But if, there's a, if there are things that people just don't understand, but yet they're clearly, but, but, I mean, but they're within the bounds of God's words, don't be afraid of that. Let God use that in you to accomplish his will. You see, one of the other things we have to recognize is that God can communicate his message through anyone, even you. If he can communicate through me, I guarantee you can communicate his message through you. You see, he only needs a willing vessel. He'll provide the words if you are willing to use your mouth. You see, we find ourselves, we find ourselves in, a, in the issue where Moses is continuing to shy away from, from, um, from the purpose that God has given him. In fact, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 13, you see that when Moses speaks to God again, he says, behold, I'm, I'm going to the sons of Israel. And he says, well, well I basically ask the question, listen, I'm going back. What, what should I say to them? Whose name should I even tell them um, is with? I mean, um, who, who, who am I coming on behalf of? Well, you see, God makes it clear that he says, listen, tell them that the I am sent you, right? But once again, it's this idea that in, even in the message that he was communicating, he didn't feel like he was worthy to even communicate that message. You see, when, we, when it comes to the idea of messages or testimonies, 
Testimonies are different because the way we encounter, because the way we encounter God, but you don't have to have a horror story to share your testimony. Oh God, this is so hard to do. Anyway, um, but like for instance, when I see, when I think about the idea that we are all different and we have different testimonies, one of the first people that come up in my mind is Mr. Willie. Now I've had the chance to, Mr. Willie Cox, he all, now he's a great, he's a great help to our church. He serves our church well and we're thank, we thank God for him. But I don't know how many of you guys, how many of you guys have actually heard his testimony? Okay, well, one day you pull him aside and have him to talk to you about his testimony, about how God saved them, what God saved them in the midst of. Um, the long and short of it, Mr. Willie went through some things I would never want to go through. <laughs> you know, if you talk to Mr. Willie, he'll tell you about um, some of the, um, the creative ways he got, he got high, right? Am I right? He'll tell you about some of the things that he went through um, on his way before, before he went to rehab. And these things are grueling details now imagine getting up, imagine Mr. Willie getting up and talking about all these things, and man, I tell you, if you let him tell it, man, I tell you, it's gonna blow your mind, I promise you. But now, listen, I don't have a horror story. When I came to God, it was simply out of a, it was simply that I noticed that something was different in my life than for my friends who were saved. I wanted what they wanted. But I can't, but listen, I wasn't shot nine times, okay guys? Listen, I wasn't, I didn't deal drugs. You know, I wasn't in some, I wasn't in a gang. I, I didn't do, listen, there's nothing out of the normal. Listen, I was a teenage kid who noticed that my friends were different than I was. They had a joy and peace about them that I didn't know what, how to explain, and I wanted what they wanted. I mean, I wanted what they had. Now, they may, not, if, they may not even feel like they were the perfect examples, but I wanted what they had. And that's all my testimony really is. I mean, it was over increasing awareness where some people have a lightning bolt call and all of a sudden they're in the midst of this thing and then God, you know, God comes down and does something and something happens and all of a sudden they change. That wasn't me. But once again, just because my testimony is different, just because the message that I bring sounds a little different from yours, that doesn't mean that what I go through is not unique. That doesn't mean that I'm, I mean, listen, I would, you know, like when you follow somebody like that, I mean, like imagine somebody coming on stage and saying, man, I got shot nine times, I was a drug dealer and all this happened. How do you follow that up? <laughs> How do you follow that up? Well, I, I read the Bible and I got saved. You know, it, it, that, that's what it feels like when I, you know, but once again, I have to be reminded of my, I have to be reminded myself that listen, the confidence, I mean, that the message that I have is just as important as the message that they have because they both end the same way. They end with the redemption of God of somebody who was a sinner saved by grace. Amen? It's just that he may have went across a longer highway to get there than I did, or a more dangerous highway, I should say. But anyway, but, but that's the point, guys. Testimony, we can't, listen, when you feel insecure about who you are and what you're doing and how you got there, don't, because God has made you unique. God has given you a certain skill set, a certain unique story that he wants you to tell people because it's going to resonate with somebody, not just the other ones, but they will resonate with somebody. And you see, the question has to become, when it comes to my purpose, am I working in his power or in my own? Am I working in his power or in my own? Because we find ourselves at the point where we, we have to understand that Okay, let me, all right. Let's try this a different way. How about that? 
Okay, I'm going to detour way off, guys. Please stay with me. Don't, listen, don't, please come back to Southside, but okay. Don't, you know, don't. This is, listen, if you're a guest today, this is out of the, this is out of the norm, so please don't take this as the indicator of who we are and how we, how we interact, okay, guys? But um, it, it's, let me be personal. Let me be very, very personal. You see, one of the things that I struggle with is the fact that in my insecurity, I think of my story as being this thing where nobody would think that much of it. I think of myself as a type of person that when I say things, maybe they don't matter as much as when somebody else says it. I think of myself as the type of person that even though I bring the same message, even though I, you know, I'm sincere in heart, God, um, you know, I feel like sometimes I, re I would rather that God not use me. I don't know how to say that. Because I look around and I see people, I see people of different walks of life, I see people with different stories and I go, God, you should use that. That's just better. That's just more appealing. People would come to Jesus in droves if they heard that story. Um, when I look at people with different skill sets, I go, man, so-and-so needs to be up here, not me. When I look up, it's just, it's just one of those things, guys, where when you see who you are, sometimes it's just hard understanding why would God want to use you. And maybe you haven't been there. Maybe you guys are in the point where you're like, hey, God can use me any way you want. But hey, I'm in a different, I'm in a different arena, guys. That's just honesty. I'm at the point where I'm like, hey, God, do I want to be used? I guess I do. Do I want to be used like this? I'm not sure, Lord. I'm really not sure. All I know is that I have, these, I have these things about me that I don't like. I don't like them. But yet, for some reason, God, I don't know why, but you gave them to me. I wish I understood that when you were giving out the gifts, these abilities, these talents, why you didn't give X, Y, Z this, or me this, above this other thing. Why do I act the way I do, as opposed to why the other person is so confident in her, or so great at what they do. And that's, and that's where I am, people. That's really where I am. You know, I think that most people, when they stand up, and especially, and I think for any man who's been in this pulpit, I think they would tell you that this is probably the most humbling experience you'll ever have. You know, some of you guys, you may look up here and you go, man, people come up here, they talk, they say things, they lead people to Jesus. Man, it's by far one of the most humbling most, most humbling, most heartaching things you'll ever, you'll ever do. Let me tell you why. Because in the midst of trying to be the light of the world, the light that people need to come to Jesus, even though Jesus is the all-fulfilling of that, God uses us as vessels, um, you're, struggling with, you're struggling with just the same things that the people in the pews are struggling with. And so you find yourself at this conundrum like, God, how do I preach to people about a problem? And I got plenty of them. And why couldn't you use this person who has this all in check versus me who doesn't have that? And that's where, and that's where the morbid really meets the road, guys. You see, insecurity is this thing where you know that God has given you abilities. You know that God has given you a message. You know that God has given you a voice, an authority, so to speak, to be able to do these things. But yet, when you look at your life, 
when you not only look at your life, when you look at who you are in the same way Moses did. And notice Moses looked at his life and he said, listen, God, you're telling me what you will give me and how you will and how I can help you. And yet, God, I don't feel equipped at all. Not even close. But yet somehow, some way, God says, I still want to use you. That is the weirdest thing in all the world to grasp in this in this thing of God. You see, because here's the thing, God knows me. And I don't mean that in some, in some really flaky way, like God knows my inner thoughts. God knows my heart. He knows my passion. He knows what makes me tick. And God, knowing everything about me, still wants a relationship with me. With me, the insecure one. He wants me still. That just doesn't, that just doesn't compute with me. Why? And so as, we, as I look at this idea, and I think about this idea of being insecure, I have to ask myself, Lord, whose authority am I working on? Whose voice am I really working in? Is this me trying to communicate something that I think people should know? Or is this what you say that people should know? And there is a difference between the two. Because if, if I, as a preacher, as a minister of the gospel, I can get up here and I can say things and maybe they'll inspire you, maybe they won't. I don't know. But now here's the thing. There's a difference between those who have talents and gifts and can do what other people do and then there are people who are called to do something. Don't ever confuse the two. There are people who can get up here and wax eloquently and tell you that, oh man, that was the easiest thing I ever did. I know some guys who probably would who would probably eat my sermon for lunch and, and preach it just like that and not flinch, right? Well, that's not me. That's not me. You see, because in, in everything that I'm going through, God is still saying, I want to use, he wants to use me. And that same thing goes for you, is that despite your insecurity, despite your weaknesses, despite your personality, despite your shape, God is saying, listen, I want you, yeah, you. Yes, I know what you did the other day. I know what you did last night. I know what you thought. I know what you've done in the past, and yet I still want you to complete it. I want you. That says a lot about who God is, that despite our hangups, our habits, and everything else, he still wants you to, to accomplish his plan. And keep in mind, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. And yet he says, you know what? I still want you. I want you to help me accomplish this. And so as you look at Moses, you see Moses, when he first starts off in chapter 11, I mean, verse 11, he says, who am I? And then when you jump to chapter, I mean, verse 13, he asks the question, what shall I say? I Meaning, I don't know what to say. What should I do? And then he goes on to chapter 4, verse 1, and then he asks the question. And so then he asks the question, what if they don't listen to me? Right? So Moses is going through this thing where he's not just asking questions because there's an all-sufficient God with all this power, although this is true and he is intimidated by this. He's also saying, listen, God, why me? Why choose me? Out of all the people you could choose, me. Why? And yet God is still saying, I want you. Although we fall short of God's glory, we can still be used for God's glory. You see, God sees the beauty in redeeming what we think is irredeemable. Some of you guys may have had a past where you may have felt like you were nothing. People may have made you feel like you were nothing. 
or maybe for some reason you have those thoughts on your own and you don't quite understand why you feel that way, but yet God is in the business of redeeming you. God wants to make you, God wants to make you fit for his will. Amen? God wants to take you and all your flaws and everything else, and he wants to make you something beautiful. You see, God works in the midst of our shortcomings to achieve what he sees as being the best outcome. So it's not about what makes me feel good and what brings me the peace. It's about what accomplishes God's will for his goodness, for his greatness, for his glory. And not only that, you see, we have to get out, we have to get out of our mind that it's this idea when it comes to this, when it comes to this idea of authority or influence, you see, man, we obsess with power. Who has the power to do what, when, and where? But you see, God and Jesus, they have authority. And not only do they have authority, they've given us authority as well to go out, to preach, to teach, to share the gospel with people so that people are able to come to him. Now keep in mind that only happens because Jesus is the one who is initiating all this through giving, him, giving us through his authority, right? It's the only reason why it happens. And yet God still chooses to use us. And not only that, Jesus has the authority and has seen fit to just give us that authority to accomplish his will. And it doesn't matter whether or not we're the most eloquent people in the world. It doesn't matter whether you're, whether you're college educated or high school educated or not, or you wouldn't be, or wouldn't consider to be educated. Whatever the case may be, God still says, regardless of where you are, who you are, I want you. You see, if you feel like, hey, I'm not eloquent enough to get up and, and tell people about God, or listen, I'm not eloquent to go before God and accomplish this purpose, or I'm not prepared enough, I want you to know that you're in good company, the company of people like Moses. Like imagine even in the idea of just speaking, right? Whenever I feel discouraged about what I got to do, I think of people like Moses who had this, who was slow of speech, which we'll get back to in just a moment. I think of people like Peter, Imagine when the cursing sailor gets up to tell people how to get straight, right? Imagine the cursing sailor getting up to tell people how to get straight, right? Think of people like James. And if you've ever read the book of James, he's a very straight shooter. He wasn't eloquent at all. He was just, this is what you need to know, and this is what you need to do. You think of people like Paul who says in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, listen, when I came to you guys, I didn't come with eloquence of speech. I didn't come like that. Listen, I just came with the truth. That's all I wanted to share with you guys. And so we have to understand that in the midst of how we feel, in the midst of our insecurity, in the midst of everything we're going through, when it comes to my purpose, we have to ask the question, am I working on my authority or God's? Who's, whose authority am I really working under? Am I working because I want to see things get better or am I working because I want God, God's glory to shine through? But now one of the most important points I'm going to make or the most important um, thoughts I'm going to give are going to be in this last point. The first two points have been this, just in case you missed it. Number one, when it comes to the, par the things that paralyze us from accomplishing God's purpose, number one is the lack of ability. Number two is the lack of voice. But number three is the lack of inclination or natural tendency. You see, natural tendency is the inclination or, or natural tendency is defined like this. A person's urge to act or feel in a particular way, a disposition or propensity. You see, this is one of the most dangerous devices um, that, that, are, that can be used to cause insecurity within us. And I want you to jump over to chapter 4, verse 10. When Moses said to, so this is, so God is all, and I know I've been skipping around, forgive me guys, I promise you, another time I'll be a lot more better, I'll be a lot better, but today is just tough. 
Um, but in chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Then God said to, I mean, Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither have I recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and I am slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? And now then, go, and even now, I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you are to say. But notice how Moses responds in verse 13. He says, but he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Let me retranslate that. Send it by anybody else you want to send it by. Just don't send it by me. You can use anybody else you want to, Lord, just not me. And here's the thing. I hope that as you've read the verses that I've gone through, you've noticed that Moses has a natural inclination. That natural inclination is to put himself down. Did anybody notice that? He puts himself down. You see, again, the, inner critical, the critical inner voice is the internal dialogue that accompanies our feelings of insecurity. You see, as we grow up, we unconsciously adopt and integrate this pattern of destructive thoughts toward ourselves and others. Here's the reality of the situation, guys, if I can, if I can sum it all up. Moses had, had had about 40 years to get in his own head. You see, and we are just seeing the effects of that in, chapter, in, his Exodus, I mean, in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. Moses keeps it simple and says again, send anybody, just not me. But let's recap how Moses sees himself. If you go back through the verses that I've gone over, and hopefully you're able to pull it together through all my rambling, stumbling, and everything else. Um, he, you know, his, his, um, he was an unimportant, uninformed, unqualified, and eloquent person. Use anybody but him. That's how he saw himself when, he, when you ultimately evaluate, when you evaluate how he felt about himself. And his self-image was probably affected by multiple variables, including the fact that he killed a man, he killed a man, and he, and, and he was struggling with that. His physical speech problem, not being able to um, go back to Egypt for whatever reason, and his countless other variables. But maybe we are like Moses. Did you have an overwhelming, do you have overwhelming negative thoughts about your personality or your physical being or your abilities that keep you from seeing and doing God's will? You see, here's the reality, and here's where, I, where I'm going to, honestly, I'm going to camp out for the rest of this sermon. Negative thoughts will eventually come. It's what you do with those thoughts that make the difference. All of us have some point where we feel like there's some about us we don't like. We, have this, we experience these negative emotions about ourselves and what we do. And the problem is not that they will never come. You know, you know, one of these natural tendencies we have in our culture now is you may hear people saying, oh, only positive vibes, positive vibes, only positive things over here, right? Or here's the reality of life. Not all parts of life are positive, right? So you can't put yourself in this bubble and just, oh, no, I only want positive vibes over here because eventually negative things happen. And you have to decide how you're going to take those negative things. You see, in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, looking at verses 2 and, well, really 4 through, I mean, 10, 4 through 5, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but, I mean, but mighty in God, 
for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, one of the biggest temptations you will have is to make a mountain out of a molehill. Now, some of you may not understand that at all. Some of you, you may not understand, but let me see if I can give you a couple of examples. Like, for instance, um, let's, and let's use some really, um, really practical examples. For instance, let's say that today you decided to use a little bit more oomph when you dress today, right? And so you see somebody and they go, oh, man, you look nice, right? Well, you know, you know, a person with, with, with healthy self-image would say, oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that, right? person with negative self-image goes, oh, why are they saying that now? Are they saying that I'm, I'm ugly all the rest of the times? What is it about today that makes me different? Oh, it's something about me they don't like, right? And we laugh about that, but you know what? I'm not the only person, right? I'm not the only one who, see, who that happens to, right? Um, women, oh, your hair looks so nice. Oh, so I look, I look tall all the rest of the times, Right? Right? Um, you know, oh, you look nice. What, what is, oh, I mean, it's just the same shirt. You know, like we do all these things to kind of deflect how we really, how we are really feeling. And so we find ourselves in this thing where we make mountains out of molehills. But now, you may be one of the people. So, gosh, don't get off track. Come on. Um, and so, for so when you see, when you have things come into your life, when you hear things that are negative you have to examine them really quickly. You have to understand this, or you have, to, you have to at least consider these things when you examine those thoughts. You have to ask yourself, what's being communicated? Who's communicating it to me? Do they have my best interest in mind or at heart? What does, the, what does the Word of God say about this topic? And is the Holy Spirit convicting me about this? These are things that are gonna help us understand, listen, is this person just being nice, or am I just getting in my own head? Is that just far out there for y'all? Or is everybody like, okay, yeah, I get it. No, that's way out there? Okay, just keep going, keep going, okay. All right, but now, but here's the point, guys. You see, when it comes to protecting your thought life, you're going to have to battle, but you need to prepare for war. Don't assume that you're never gonna, because you don't want to be the type of person that's caught off guard by the negative thoughts. You want to be the type of person that's ready that when those thoughts come, you're already trying to take those, you're always trying to take those thoughts captive into the obedience of Christ. All right? You have to take that thing in, decide, okay, is this something I need to really look at and take a look at and work on, or is it something I need to cast away because I'm, I'm doing too much with it? All right? You have to do that. And not only that, guys, in another, in another vein of this idea of, um, this idea of inclination, and I'm, I know I'm running out of time, so I'm going to try to get to the end of this, guys. Um, this idea of self-image is more than how you look on the outside. A lot of us don't just struggle with our inner thoughts. Some of us struggle with how we look on the outside. And here's the thing, you're not the only one. A recent survey was just done, and this is, and this is a stat about women. A recent survey found out that 60% of women experience hurtful, self-critical thoughts on a weekly basis. Let's go a little deeper. Adult adult women spend on an average of 55 minutes per day on their appearance. And you look great, ladies, just so you know, all right? Um, just in case, I don't want nobody to get in trouble with that, okay? Um, and if you really want to, if you want to really put that in context, that's 335 hours, which means that's a two-week vacation of just getting yourself ready, 
Imagine if it took you two weeks to get out the house, right? That's what that, that's what that feels like, guys, okay? Um, so, and so, and, and just in case you're wondering how long does it take guys to, to get, get their appearance ready, take a guess, quickly, somebody. Uh, average. Huh? About 30 less than that on average, average. I know that you, some of you guys just go, I'm done, I'm ready, you know. But no, that's not everybody. <laughs> um, but anyway, you turn, it, look, turn your shirt inside out. Ready to go, guys, let's go. Um, but then, but, but on average, men spend less, 100 hours less than women focusing on their appearance. So if women spend 335 hours, that's 100 hours less. So you can kind of get the idea. Now for teen girls, here we go. The difference is even more pronounced. They spend more than 400 hours every year on their appearance, almost twice as much as teenage boys, right? Over half adults report that they think about their appearance at least several times a day, if not more. Women are most likely to have negative thoughts as they, I mean, more negative thoughts than positive thoughts when it comes to appearance. Teen girls are even harder on themselves. 85% of teen girls said that they would, that they worry about their appearance at least once a week or at least 72% say every day or multiple times in a day. You see, and the reason why I'm bringing up all these stats is because some of you may not be happy with the way you look, all right? And here's the thing, even in the midst of all that, God still wants you as you are. Now here's the thing, I wanna make, make, make this you know, explicitly clear, okay? You need to be concerned about your appearance if it's something of a health issue, okay, guys? So I'm not advocating, you know, just do whatever, okay? What I'm advocating is this. For some of you, you may struggle with self-image. Listen, don't worry. God still loves you. People still love you, right? And I know for my teenagers, I know this may be a hard thing to grasp, but people see more, see beyond the way you look at some point, right? You know, when you're younger, you just think, oh, it's just about my outward appearance. There's more than that. And you need to meet somebody who will show you that there's more than that. Um, outward appearance is merit, but it's not totally all-encompassing. God is concerned with the inner and the outer man. Another part when it comes to, when it comes to this idea of um, insecurity or being, or this idea of self-image one of, the, one of the biggest triggers and one of the biggest traps that we use sometimes when we're trying to protect our personalities or protect our insecurity is humility. Sometimes we use humility as kind of a hidden trigger to try to cover up how we feel. You see, humility is a crown worth wearing, but hum negative self-image disguised within humility is a cancer. Let me go a little deeper on that. Sometimes. When some, you know, sometimes, you know, like we've all had this thing of self-deprecating humor. We all at sometimes make fun of ourselves and how we are and how we look. But sometimes there are people who use that to cover up the way that they actually feel about their self-image or about, their in, about who they are. And that's where it gets dangerous. Don't ever use humility as a cover-up to, to cover up what you feel about your self-image. Does everybody understand that? Jeez, I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board on this one, guys. All right, we'll work out this sermon another time, another day. But let me get to the end. Um, long story short, when we were created, God gave us all value. And it's up to us to realize the value that we've been given. Some of our insecurity may, um, may come from personality, um, the way we, um, our personalities are. But don't be afraid 
Um, I mean, but don't be afraid to be who you are. And one special note I want to make sure I want to make sure people understand is that there may be some of our people who have insecurity based on personality disorders. Don't be afraid to seek treatment and help. That could be counseling. Don't be afraid to do that. More people than you think take counseling. Um, maybe psych evaluation to make sure that you understand more about yourself and medical intervention, intervention if needed, although I wouldn't necessarily encourage that right off the bat. I would rather you counsel and everything else before you try medical intervention. Um, and so a person with insecurity is like a prison without bars. Are your, I mean, are your insecurities making a prisoner out of you? Some of us are not able to accomplish God's will and, and, and fulfill God's purpose because we have these self-image problems and these insecurities that keep us from going forward and doing such. Are your, are your insecurities making you a prisoner? All right, now everybody stand. Let me get to the very end of this. I'm sorry, guys. Listen, it'll be better one day, but not today. <laughs> um, okay. Um, let's, bring it all, let's bring it all to a close. Um, so let me, let me see if I can sum it all up. Moses was a type of man that although, yeah, he didn't feel like he was adequate to fulfill God's purpose and his will, Moses still had things, um, Moses had insecurities that basically stopped him or paralyzed him from becoming what God wanted to be. Now, did he eventually get up and do what God asked him to do? Yes, he did. But what did it take? And this is what I think is one of the solutions or response to insecurity with regards to your purpose. I think you have to understand where your insecurity comes from. Recognize exactly where these things come from. You need to recognize also that um, not only, you know, where they come from, why we're driven to put ourselves down, and how this viewpoint really does affect you. You need to be open and honest about that. But now, thankfully, in our understanding and what, seeing what Moses go through in his insecurity, we learn, a very value, we learn a very valuable lesson about how God helps us to deal with our insecurity. And I think it's really, I think it's really um, manifested in really two words. There's perception versus reality. There's perception versus reality. And if you go back to, you don't have to go back to the verses, but think about this. When Moses was standing up, when Moses in um, chapter 3, verse 11, when he basically said, you know what, God, I can't do this, that was his perception. The reality was that God said, I will help you accomplish this feat. God was giving him hope and telling him, listen, yeah, you may feel like you can't, but I can help you get through it. Another perception that he has, he said, listen, I have no voice. I have no authority. I cannot. How am I going to speak to these people? What well, if they don't listen to me? Well, God says, I can give you the confidence. So that was the reality. Another perception, I am not valuable enough to do this task. That's how he said, basically said in his idea of, listen, choose anybody else to do this task. But yet God in reality said, I can give you value. You see, for us to be able to overcome our insecurities, you must, accept, you must choose to accept God's reality over your own. Because sometimes the, our perceptions of reality are a little bit warped, a little bit skewed, and a little bit biased towards our own tendencies and the things that we struggle with. But in reality, God sees something different. Where you see yourself as a person who's a sinner, who's not worth saving, God sees a valuable member of the kingdom who can contribute great things. Where you see yourself as being somebody who's gone through enough where you don't think you could be redeemable, God says, listen, I've redeemed worse than you. I've done better. I've made great people 
and not great for their own standards, but great because, God, because they fulfill God's purpose and God's plan through God's glory. You see, you see, speaking in this idea, you see, God, number one, he doesn't just, he, he doesn't just tell us that we can be these things. God gives us the, the confidence and the real perception, I mean, the real reality that we are able to accomplish these things through him. He gives us will, he gives us confidence, and he gives us value. And with all those things together, we gain security. And speaking of security, what greater security is there than knowing that despite my hangups, despite my habits, despite how I feel about myself, my insecurities, the God of the universe still wants a relationship with me. You see, he sees my sin, my flaws, my hangups, and the other things, and he doesn't say, I want, I want to keep that on you. He says, I'm going to trade. I'm going to take those things about you, and I'm going to trade those things for righteousness, for faith. I want to trade those things. I want to take those things from you, and I want to make you more than you thought you would ever be. And keep in mind that that is only, that is only possible through God, through his Holy Spirit, and through the power of salvation. You know, a lot of times we read the book, we read the book of Romans, we read Romans 1.16, it tells us, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, right, to save man, right? The power of salvation for the Jew and the Greek. Why would Paul use the word ashamed? Why would Paul use the word ashamed? You know what? Because shame is one of the strongest indicators in our lives. You see, the things that we're not, we're afraid to talk about cause shame in our lives. The things that we don't want to share with anybody, that's shame. The things that we're not confident to say out loud, that's shame. But yet God says, what better way to know that you're confident in your belief than being unashamed to say and live out the words of Christ, amen? To accept the gospel. And that's what I'm, and that's what I'm calling you to do right now. You see, you may not have enough security in yourself to be confident and know that God loves you and God has a plan for you and his purpose for you is exactly what he wants, but God knows that. And to do that, you gotta give up yourself. Your insecurities, you have to lay them at this altar. All those feelings you have, you have to lay them down. And now here's the thing, when you lay them down, there's gonna be a temptation to pick those things back up and take them back with you. But let me, but let me encourage you in this way. You see, I, I know I skipped over a lot in, in the book of Exodus in that chapter 3 and chapter 4, but here's one thing that happened. When Moses came to the burning bush, he took off his shoes for where he stood was holy ground, and he went and he worshiped the Lord at the altar at the burning bush. But now when he got finished, he put his shoes back on, and he went and he did what God told him to do through all of his insecurities, through all of his fears, through even his shame, God still chose to use him. And thank God he did, because otherwise I wouldn't have a sermon. So, <laughs> but, um, but other than that, guys, I want you to understand that, listen, insecurity is a very, very strong, strong thing. And I know, and it's hard to overcome, but you have a God who's strong enough to help you overcome it, and he wants to. Again, the God of the universe sees you he sees your heart. He knows your thoughts, good and bad. He knows everything about you, and yet he still says, come, come to me. I want to make you better than you think you ever could be. And that's the love of God. So if you're someone who doesn't, who, who experiences insecurity, I'm going to ask you to join me at the altar, not to pray with me, 
but to pray alongside. Because just as, you, just as I need it, there's other people who need it too. If you are someone who has not trusted in Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to come forward. I'm willing to receive you. But listen, if you're struggling with insecurity like I am, listen, please feel free to come down. You don't have to be prompted. You don't have to talk to anyone. Come down and deal with God yourself. But just understand that when you, when you come to the altar, come with, come with humility knowing that God can help you handle it. But when you leave, leave with the resolve that God can give you all the tools and resources to actually do something about it. Amen. With that being said, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. God, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but I know you are. And so, God, I, I pray that you just take my insecurities, take everyone's insecurities, God, and help us to set those things aside, God, because they're hindrances to us sharing your gospel. They're hindrances to us actually accomplishing your will. There's some of us, God, who you've called and prompted to do great things, God, but we don't move because we don't see it. Although we need to, but all the thing we really need to see is you. You have everything we need. You have the confidence. You have the will. You have the determination. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us all the tools. If only we would see you for you, Lord, we would be better people. Will we truly understand what it means to follow you, to lay down, our, to lay down everything about ourselves, God? We often talk about laying down our pride. What about our insecurities, Lord? Help us to lay those down. Help us to be people who worship you, God, who push through the fear, the anxiousness, the anxieties, the depressions, and everything else that floors us in this life and help us to still find joy in serving and worshiping you. God, thank you that you take imperfect men and somehow you communicate a perfect gospel through a broken man. God, if there's anyone here, God, who has not experienced your love, I pray that they would come to know you even to this day. If there's anyone who experiencing any of the things that we talked about, Lord, I pray that they would come forward. And God, we'd be careful, God, to not just simply pray and hope that things get better, but that we pray and we walk away from this and we walk away from these steps and these altar, God, knowing, God, that we want you to be the person who helps us to do something about the problems that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.